Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Jordan from the Music Business Podcast. Really excited to introduce our guest today, Samantha Cox. She's the Vice President of Creative in New York at BMI. Um, in addition to signing and keeping relationships strong with songwriters and publishers and BMI affiliates worldwide. She also helps educate at scale and with white glove support songwriters that are in the BMI space. So some things that we get into today that I'm really excited about people hearing is one, what performance rights organizations are, what BMI does, how she supports artists at scale and how she supports them with white glove support. We also get into how to become an executive um, she started as an intern at BMI and, you know, has gotten to vice president. So we talk about one, what that process is like going from an intern to actually working in the industry and two, advice for middle managers who want to become leaders at their company, who want to become executives. So there's a lot of experience that she, you know, fortunately was able to share on the podcast. A lot of really awesome things that we were able to talk about. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear this one. So without further ado, Samantha Cox. Sam, how's it going? Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Also, Hi. before we get started, is it Sam or do people call you Samantha? Just so I know. You know, they call me both. And honestly, it goes in one ear and out the other to say Sam or Samantha <laughs> answer to all of them. Okay, that's good. That's good. And, and I know some people get really sensitive about their name. That's not me. Okay, cool. Just wanted to be sure. Wanted to be sure. Um, so for those that don't know, we actually haven't really interviewed many people from or anyone really from performance rights organizations. So um, how does BMI and performance rights organizations sort of interact with, with other sectors of the music industry? Wow, that's such a good question. Um, let me just start by explaining a little bit about what BMI does. BMI protects the public performing rights of songwriters, composers, and music publishers. So we make sure our affiliates are paid when their music is paid publicly like at bars or restaurants or fitness clubs at a live concert venue, on the radio, on TV, and on streaming platforms such as Spotify, YouTube, Pandora, Apple Music, and more. Um, and how we, how we interact with other sectors of the music industry is really by making connections. You know, um, I think it's really important for people to know that we're not a, we're not a publisher. A lot of times people think, we're a publishing company. Right. We're not a publishing company. Right. We're not a record label. Right. We're not um, a manager. We're not an attorney. We're not. We're none of those things. We're not a copyright organization. But more importantly, we're not a publisher. And I think a lot of times people think that we're a publishing company because of some of the services that we offer in the creative department. Mm. Um, but we meet songwriters early. BMI is often the first stop in a songwriter's career, and we work with managers and our executives producers, other songwriters, um, other producers, booking agents. I mean, you right. name it. We, we pretty much work with everyone. And what they do is they turn me on to new music and I turn them on to new music. Uh, you know, for example, um, just recently, I was talking to a manager who I've known for a little while. Uh, he, he represents, you know, lots of BMI artists. 
And so we deal with each other on a regular basis, but he's working with a new artist. And he called me up and he's like, Sam, I know you know every songwriter out there and every producer. <laughs> and I'm looking for my young new artist. Um, I'm looking for some opportunities for her to co-write. And, and I was like, let's make it happen, right? So perfect example of what I do on a regular basis. I make connections. Awesome. Awesome. So actually, can you expand a little bit um, on that? So like, uh, you know, you help coalesce teams around an artist. What is what does that process kind of look like uh, in depth? And and who exactly are you are you speaking with? Is it is it mostly managers? Is it mostly people at labels? Is it kind of all of the above? It's really all, all of the above. And it really depends on where someone is in their career. A lot mm-hmm. of times I can meet someone super early on in their career and they don't have a manager. They don't have an attorney. They have no team around them whatsoever. So um, I, what a lot of what I time, a lot of what I do is, is assess where someone is in their career and then figure out where I can help out, right? And where I can fill in the holes that they're missing. So when I meet an, a, a young artist, and I'll give you an example maybe of, of someone that I'm really close with that I've, I've helped throughout her whole career, um, which was Bibi Rexa. I met her when she was oh wow probably like that fifteen, was, right? That yeah. is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, and I have a lot of stories like that, but I I really like this one because she's incredibly special, and I like she's just a, a we we've been through so much together, right? And so it's a really yeah. good example. But I met Baby when she was fifteen. Wow. Her mom called the office, and I happened to just pick up the phone, <laughs> and her mom's like. I have no idea what to do. My daughter loves music. She lives and breathes music. And someone told me to call BMI. And I was like, great. Why don't you two come in? And so they came in, they sat in my office. We got to know each other. And at that point, um, she really didn't even have anything recorded. Right. She just loved writing music. She loved playing it. She loved singing. And at that time at BMI, we were offering, offering a free songwriting workshop and a free vocal workshop. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I said to her was like, let's get you involved with both of these, both of these workshops. I think they'll be great for you and extremely beneficial. And if you ask her today, and even in a lot of interviews that she does, she talks about this. She talks about it was that um, conversation that we had. And we talked about how important songwriting was for her career. You know, right. at that point, she wasn't really even thinking about songwriting. All she was thinking about was singing and wanting to record and just get just perform. Right. And that songwriting workshop really changed her life and put her in a totally different mindset and different direction. So, um, wow. So really it just, again, it depends on where someone is in their career. And and I've grown with her throughout her entire career to this day. We, we talk all the time. Right. And I'm still hooking up collaborations and co-writes for her. And and maybe not quite as hands-on as I used to be in the very right. beginning, but all sure along team the way, being there too, for though, and advising yeah. her and, and pointing her in the right direction and, and helping her through difficult situations. Right. That's really cool. I think when people think of um, the people that make those early bets in the music industry, at least in the experience that I've had speaking to people, they think it's management. It's, it's or, or only management, I should say where it's like, these are the people that really find them in the beginning stages of their career. These are the people that kind of build them. But, you know, an organization like BMI, it's a lot of the work that you do. You know, you said she was 15. I'm not, you know, I, I, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm, she probably did not have a manager at that point. 
right? No, she definitely got <laughs> a manager. It was a struggle finding a manager. You yeah. know, when when you're a young artist not making any money, you know, who wants to manage you? Not very many people because <laughs> they want to make money. And exactly. so it's it's a challenge. And and but what what's so fun about this job and what I love so much about it is that I get to help songwriters at the end of the day. That's like my most favorite thing to do. And I get to stick with them and stay with them. When no one when no one else wants to pay attention, right. I can still pay attention and still help them. Uh, and that's that's really rewarding and exciting, especially when you see them go on to succeed. That's really awesome. That's like a, a super awesome thing to do. I mean, Bieber Rex when she was 15. Wow. Like really, really from really there from the beginning. That's super cool. Yeah. So like when you, and you can use her as an example, you can use someone else as an example up to you, but what do you look for when you're, when you decide to bet on someone like that, when you decide to bet on someone that early, what are some of the signs where you're like, you know what, I actually do really want to help this person. And the, the first thing is, um, do they listen to what I'm saying? The advice mm-hmm. that I'm giving. Um, because then I know they're willing to do whatever it takes to succeed. Right. And, and so, but I also look at who they are as a person. For me, that's so, so key. I'm a big believer in, um, helping someone who has a worth that worth, uh, work ethic and mm-hmm. drive, um, to succeed. And they may not be exactly where they need to be on the creative side yet, but I know they're going to get there because they have that work ethic and that drive and that passion to succeed. So, you know, it's easy to find someone who's talented, right? And right. Find, there's, there's so many, but who, who then also has that extra added, you know, little spark that, you know, they're never going to give up. They're never going to take no for an answer and, and that this is their life. Like they couldn't, they couldn't do anything else except for create music. Right. Yeah. It's um, interesting you say that. I think one of the the things I've actually, I actually saw this um, on an Instagram post from another music industry executive, but um, he said there are too many people that put out music and expect people to find it. So like they put it out on SoundCloud, they put it out on Spotify and just expect the world to uncover them and and discover them themselves and there's no there's not much work involved it's like let's put out this album and let's just wait until the masses come to me and i think what you're explaining is kind of the other side of that um equation which is not just talent but the work ethic to actually put you in places for people to find you and for you to find your your audience you know i've had so many conversations about branding with people who had never thought about it or your what what does your fan look like what does your ideal fan look like it's it's stuff that you've never thought about and um you know i just interviewed uh marky basie recently um a songwriter and um artist and he very much uses both of both parts of his brain the business side and the creative side you nailed it have to. <laughs> you nailed you know? jordan i say that all the time you have to you really have to have both to be honest, you know? Yeah. And at least you need to be on top of the business side to some degree or another. And when I when I see and talk to most people that that are successful, they have both of those things. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. So um I mean you've worked with a lot of artists before, a lot of notable artists. Um what do you think is the through line between them both, I guess we'll ask both as songwriters and as uh business people. Um, obviously like it doesn't necessarily mean they all write with the same three chords or (laughs) they they all sing tenor or something like that. Um, But 
especially I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure there are people that you've also worked with that may not have been as successful uh, over the course of working with them. But for the people that are, what are what are some what are some similarities between them that you've seen? I, I think they're curious. I think they want to learn. I think they want to um, try new things. I think they they're open um, because you have to be open, you know, especially today. It used to be that you would have, you know, an artist was an artist and a songwriter was a songwriter and you mm-hmm. couldn't cross those lines. What I love about the business today is that you can do both. Mm-hmm. You can start as you can start out as a songwriter and become an artist. You can start out as an artist and become a songwriter, or you can do both at the same time. And when I first started in the music business, that was completely unacceptable. <laughs> I'll never forget it. In like 1996, when I had first started, I would literally tell people, whatever you do, when you go talk to a label, you, you say that you're an artist. And if you have songs that you've written for other people, you do not bring the, that up in a meeting. <laughs> you just don't go there, right? And you're like, here's my artist music. Wow. This is who I am. And, um, and if you were going to meet with a publisher and you were an artist as well, you didn't say you were an artist. Wow. I'm a songwriter. Here is my CD. Yes, a CD. <laughs> and <laughs> no, I, I, my, I, used to, I used to buy CDs. <laughs> yeah. What did you say? I, said, I, used to, I used to buy CDs. I was in the CD game. I was in the CD <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about how they've just disappeared, right, over yeah. time. Yeah. And, and it's, it's um, on occasion, I'll still get a CD in the mail. And I'm like, okay, this is really weird. Yeah. I don't know how to play this. Or right. to play I was like, I don't know where to put it. <laughs> no, no idea where to put this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's um I kind of kind of going off a little bit. Like, what do you think contributed to that? What do you think contributed to that paradigm shift for people to be able to do both? Like, just out of curiosity, it's it's funny you say that when I was literally interviewing Marky Basie, he was a songwriter. And he said he was in the room with Chris Brown and showed him like a demo that he wanted Chris Brown to to record. And then Chris was like, no, this sounds great. Like, you should just put this out yourself. So something like that seems very organic and actually comes from the artists themselves. But just out of curiosity, like, what do you think contributed to the change in the way people approach being an artist versus being a songwriter and how those two things kind of like are now combined and can be? I I think I, I agree with you. I think that's really awesome that artists can do that. And not only that, but creativity um, in general in the music space is it has to be fluid, I think, in order for you to be a great artist, you know. So to to think to think of a time when like people wrote music and they couldn't they couldn't tell people <laughs> like is is kind of like such a foreign thought to me, you know. I know. Right. I, I mean, I don't know if I can specifically pinpoint it. Right. But what I do think over time is it all goes down to all comes down to technology. Mm. Um, and, you know, prior, you know, the record, the recording side of the business had so much control. Mm. And what I mean, mean by that is it, everything was so expensive to get in and record things. Right? right. And so the only way you could record music was being signed, you know, signed to a label. They would mm-hmm. pay for it and so forth. And they had so much control. And now because you have technology where you can record in your basement or in your bathroom or at your home and it can sound good. Right. And you can, because of that, I feel like it's allowed that freedom for there to be so many artists and so many songwriters and it doesn't matter. Right. And they can, and because of, of the, 
GSPs as well, right? And being able to, and, and the distribution companies being able to just release your music and, and you can change your name too, right? Like so many people, I know big, huge songwriters that are putting out, you know, music as a band, but no one even knows it's them because they've just changed the name and you can do that, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, so I really attribute it, I guess, to technology. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and, and people have, um, people have like, you know, virtual masks that they wear. You know, I didn't know what her looked like for the first several years <laughs> she was out. She could just do that, you know? <laughs> I know, so, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that would have uh, never happened before. Right, right, right. Yeah, cool. I mean, that's, um, it, it'll be interesting to see how technology continues to change the songwriting space music moving forward as well. Um, cool. Thanks for that. Thanks for that little side note uh, there. Um, I'm also wondering, like, because you work with artists so early in their career, what's some of the things that you feel like they don't get off the bat or, or some of the lessons that are repeated in the beginning of people's careers that you teach as soon as people kind of come under your wing? Well, the first thing is a lot of them, like I said, don't even know what a performing rights society is mm. and how valuable and how helpful we can be to their career. Mm. And um, I, I always, I feel sorry for them a lot of times when they, when they don't meet the right person in the very beginning, mm. right? Does that make sense? And so yeah, yeah. It, they don't have anyone to bounce their, their ideas off or their thoughts without, um, how do I explain this? I guess I, I want them to have someone to talk to, right? And mm. a lot of times buying an attorney is really hard. You know, because yeah. that costs money. Finding a manager is impossible. And so having someone at a performing rights society who can guide you and, and point you in the right direction to help you get through some of those difficult moments. I mean, that's a that's a big, big, big thing to me. Um, but if you don't have someone at a performing rights society like myself, what I would say is, is um, knowing being on top of your finances Educating right. yourself about the business. I mean, it's just so key. And when I when I say that, I mean to be able to be a little bit more specific mm-hmm. is you know songwriting splits. I think a lot of times people get in a room, and that's their job. They want to be creative, right? But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, they're not thinking, "Oh, how is this song going to be split at the end of the day?" Yeah. And not just from a publishing side, but like the mechanical side as well. Mm-hmm. All of those things, and I mean the mastering side, all of those things matter. And I think when you go into a room, you know, a lot of times songwriters and artists just aren't thinking about that. And they've got to, they've got to know their business to protect themselves. Right, right. And I assume that when you work with people so early, their their support system may be a friend or a family member and people that aren't like super well-versed in a lot of that stuff already. So, you know, it makes sense that as soon as you get into a room with somebody, it's not only teaching them about, a, about what a performance rights organization does, but just generally foundational business aspects that they need to know in order to be a financially stable songwriter. I won't say successful songwriter because they could be awesome, but a, fin- but a financially stable songwriter. Absolutely. 100%. I, I really, I really um, uh, think it's so key like it's beyond key to understand the very, very basics. And, and that is what is so great about BMI is we can give that foundation to the songwriters that we represent. And if we don't know all the answers, we know the people to introduce them to, to help them find the answers that they need. 
Right. That's really cool. I mean, there, I mean, you said earlier, um, you know, there are workshops. What are some of the, and this is a question also that I didn't send beforehand, but just because I'm wondering, what are some of the things that, um, you know, you work with artists with very white glove support. What are some of the things that um, are available to songwriters at, a, at, a, at scale um, at BMI to kind of help educate them? Well, the first thing is, is we do a, a, a great little um, workshop called BMI 101, mm-hmm. and we offer it on a monthly basis. And it really goes through step by step what we do at BMI, but it integrates the rest of the, of the streams of income in relation to what we do at BMI. Right. Right. So it's going to talk about your, your master. It's going to talk about your mechanicals. It's going to talk about your performing rights. It's going to talk about all of that income, your publishing, what it means to be uh, um, a publisher, what it means to be a songwriter, all of those things together. So you get the big picture. It's like a big pie. Yeah. And then we go specifically into how you, how you sign up with BMI, what it means to set up a publishing company. How do you register your works? Why do I need to register my works? What is BMI Live? All of these different things that at the end of the day, we can help you creatively. But if you don't have this part set up and no, and you don't understand this part, almost the creative part doesn't matter because you're, you're, you're not going to get paid, right? And at right. the end of the day, this is, this is your livelihood and you want to get paid. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is we do the BMI 101 workshop, which um, I love. And we do that on a monthly basis and anyone can do it. And, and since the pandemic, what's, what's one good thing that's come out of the pandemic is we do these on Zoom now and mm. anyone can attend. And prior we were doing them each office and you had to be in attendance mm. to, to be there. And right. now you can do them on Zoom. It's super easy. You can join. And we normally do them like the third week of every month. And it's normally, I think, the, the Thursday of the third week of every month. And if you just go to our calendar um, on BMI.com, you'll see it there. But when it comes to educating, that's probably the, the one workshop that we do that covers everything. Awesome. Um, we, we, from time to time, though, we speak on panels. We speak at universities and um, we're educating the community when we do that too. And, and so you have to, you know, be present at those things. So those aren't that's not a normal thing we do on a day-to-day right. basis, right. but, but we do that. Right. That's awesome. I'll definitely have to drop it um, in the show notes afterwards. I would say a question that I've gotten like more times than I will have think, have thought i was going to get from people that listen to the podcast and from some of my patrons actually on my Patreon is, do I need to sign up for BMI if I have an admin publishing deal? <laughs> that's, that's like the question like I always get. I'm like, yes, please sign up for both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would say, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's always just so crazy to me that, um, that the publisher wouldn't sort of advise them as well. I mean, I'm sure they do, but they're just confused. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And, right. and it is confusing. Like I remember yeah. when I started at BMI and, and every day things change, right? Mm-hmm. The business changes on a daily basis. And, and, and there's always something new popping up. But one thing I have to say that say that is stable is that performing rights has really been stable throughout mm. the entire time I've been in the music business. Yeah, business. I mean, there's been changes, of course, Right. right? But overall, it's been steady and strong. Um, but back to your back to your initial 
comment slash question that these people ask, yes, you need to set up a publishing <laughs> company. When you sign up with BMI, you sign up as a songwriter and you sign up as a publisher. Mm-hmm. You're doing both, right? Mm. Right. And what that means, and, and people are like, I don't understand. Why do I need to do that, right? Mm. And, and it is extremely confusing. But when you sign up, whenever your song is played or performed, whatever terminology you want to use, you get paid as a songwriter and you get paid as a publisher. So mm-hmm. if you earn $100 as a songwriter, you earn, you're going to earn $100 as a publisher, right? You, When you write a song, you own and control that song. You wrote it. You own and control it. And you're publishing. I always like to say publishing equals control, right? Mm -hmm. And when you own the publishing, that means you control the song, right? And that is so key. And I think people sometimes don't understand that. And it's the first thing a, a, a major publisher is going to ask you, like a Sony or Universal or whoever it might be, Warner Chapel, mm-hmm. they're going to, if they want to do a publishing deal with you, what they're saying is they want to do a publishing deal with your publishing company, the right. one that you set up at BMI. They want to do a co-pub deal. So you will always own 100% of your writing, but your publishing share is the one that's negotiable. You'll be able to enter into a co-pub deal with a Sony music publishing. Sony comes to you and they say, hey, we want to do a co-pub deal with you. They'll take 50% of your publishing in exchange for exploiting your music. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you're saying this because to be honest, like when I started at the management company I used to work at, um, my boss asked me to register all of this one artist songs with BMI. And I was like, what? And I actually, actually, call, I actually <laughs> called someone. Mean? Yeah. I like called someone that like, set up a call with a rep from BMI and was like, what is all of this? And they like broke it down for me and it was extremely helpful. And you doing that right now on the podcast is going to educate a lot of people in the same way that I literally was just on the phone with this person. Like, so how do I register? The, that was the big thing that I was wondering about songwriter and publishing on BMI. Like, what is it? It adds up to how much percent? <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> it's very confusing. And I don't expect anyone to understand it overnight. And this stuff takes a very long time, you know, to really um, grasp. And and you really don't start to, you know, you can take a music business class, you can do all those things and get a foundation. But until you actually do it, it's, it's hard to really understand it. And, and, Clearly, someone like myself understands it because I've been doing it now for a very long time. Right. Um, right. But but it is extremely difficult, and it's not. It's it's not. It's a lot of times people in the music business don't understand it. You know what I mean? Right. Because they're not doing it on a day to day. Just like I don't understand what someone at a label may do Mm -hmm. on a day to day basis, right? And so it it takes time. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, now shifting to the career path part of the interview, um, some things that I like to ask executives at this point in their careers, especially one like yourself, who's kind of worked their way up through a single company, is what were the defining moments or inflection points that kind of allowed that to happen? And, and you know, I don't want to go as vague as like, how did you do it? But sort of how did you do it? I think I think there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that start off as interns, including myself, and they don't see a path forward. They're like, I'm going to have to leave in order to 
become successful? How do you kind of navigate your way through a corporation, through a company um, to reach a level that you've reached right now? I'm going to be so honest. I feel so sorry for young kids right now. I think mm-hmm. it's extremely difficult. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a totally different time, and it's really hard to find a job right mm-hmm. now. I, I mean, especially in the music industry. Right. You know, when I first started, um, yes, I was an intern, and I started as an intern at BMI. Mm-hmm. Um, but but prior to that, what when I went to school and when I went to college, there were no music business programs. There was no. Belmont music program. There was no, you know, Syracuse. There was no, you know, Clive Davis program, a USC program. They didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So everything I did was always just by networking and and you still network now, but there's more and more people networking because there's more and more people who graduated with these degrees that are incredibly smart, so well-educated and, and have interned already at, at lots of places, but the jobs just don't exist, right? Yeah. Especially in the creative department where everyone wants to work, right? I mean, so many people want to do A&R at a record label or, or A&R at a publishing company. Yeah. Some of them are realizing, though, that the digital space is the place to be, you know, like Spotify and YouTube and all of these other great places to, uh, to work now as well, that I didn't have, you know, that option when I was growing up. But um, I, I, I personally think uh, for me, what it was is I loved music at the end of the day mm-hmm. and I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so when I was living in Austin, Texas, Texas is where I grew up, and, um, I started interning at a radio station and at that radio station, I got to know all the other local radio stations in, in Austin. And every year, um, there's a big music conference called South by Southwest, which mm-hmm. I think probably a lot of people that are listening to this yeah. know, knows what South by Southwest is, but big music conference in Austin. And at that music conference um, and interning at this radio station, I met tons of New Yorkers. And I had never, to be honest, I had never even dreamed of going to New York. It was one of those things where I lived in Texas and I never even thought I, I could go to New York, right? It was just, yeah. it's just not, I grew up in a very small town, never even thought it was possible. Um, but when I met all these people, literally they said, you walk and talk too fast. You belong in New York. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, and I knew my mom and dad would kill me, but I, I met all these people and I, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for three months. I'm going to go check out New York city. That's what I did. And when I got here, I knew it was the place I wanted to be. And I figured out a way to stay. And that's when uh, the people that I met said, Hey, you should go meet these people at BMI and you should meet these people at a couple other places. And that's what I did. I went on these interviews and when I got here, I had to start all over. Right. um, Which is what I did. And one of the places that I went was BMI. And at the time, BMI didn't even have a real internship program. And I, but I went to go interview for a job, but they had just hired someone. And I said, look, I would do anything. <laughs> and I think this is probably the point right now yeah. is that is that I would have done anything. Right. And I think, yeah. and I would have gone above and beyond to do whatever it takes to 
get a job. Right. Yeah. And so I said, I will intern. I will, what can I do to learn from you? And at that point they were like, well, you know what, just come in, just start coming in. And I did, I would come in every single day. And then they knew how dedicated I was and said, you know what, I'm going to introduce you to another person. And I, I went on an interview at Polygram at the time yeah. and they were amazing. And at, at that time, they called me and they said, look, we want to hire you. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So I came <laughs> back to BMI and I was sitting there again, still interning. And, and a guy at BMI walked up to me and said, hey, would you want to interview for this position? It's not in creative, but would you want to interview for it? I was like, absolutely. <laughs> so I interviewed for that as well. And I had no idea, but I ended up getting both job offers. Um, uh, and, and I, I was, it was funny because both interviews were night and day different. It was pretty hilarious. Uh, I won't go into <laughs> the details, but it was pretty funny. And, um, and I was like, well, I bombed that one. I'm never going to get that <laughs> job. <laughs> and that was at BMI, by the way. And, and the other one, I was like, oh, I got this one. Like, no problem. Right. And, and but the, the great thing was, was I was offered both jobs, but my gut told me to go with BMI, which is, pretty ironic because it wasn't in the creative department, which is yeah. where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But I knew at BMI I was going to grow and I was going to really learn a part of the business that most people didn't understand. And, um, and so I took the job at BMI and it was probably the best decision I had ever made. Um, because about a year, about a year into it, that was like, all right, I'm ready to go. I've, <laughs> I've learned I'm good. This is not what I want to do. I need yeah. to be creative. But at that same time, well, actually what happened was that the people that were um, wanted to hire me at Polygram called me a year later and said, look, the assistant that we hired is leaving. Will you come back and interview for this job again? And I was like, yes, yes, I will. (laughs) And and then at that point, I, um, at BMI in the creative department, all of a sudden, one by one, three of the creative executives decided to leave BMI and they all came to me and they said, you would be amazing for this job. You need to apply for it. And I was like, the time you couldn't have worked out better. And um, while I went and interviewed for the other job at Polygram, um, long story, what without going into it, I didn't get that job. (laughs) And all these, all these positions opened up at BMI. And of course I interviewed for it and ended up getting the position and I've been here ever since. And I feel so lucky and so blessed because it's such a great, great company to work for. Um, it's, it's, it's just a, a great place to be and to work. And, and it's unusual to be at a company as long as I have, right. When you look at right. the way the business works now, everyone is bouncing around, you know, they go from this place to this place to this place. Right. And I used to see my friends who were doing A&R at, at record companies and publishing companies and they would they would be doing great but then (laughs) the president would leave and go to another label and a new president would come in and they would all get let go Mm -hmm. and it didn't matter how great they were at what they did it's just that there was a new regime and i was like wow i don't i don't want to go through that yeah and and because of that you know and loving what i do at bmi i've i've always stayed at bmi and i don't know if i answered your question (laughs) <laughs> no, you absolutely did. You absolutely did. 
Um, I know we scheduled the interview um, to end three minutes ago. I'm not sure if you have a hard out or if I can ask one more question. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of piggybacking off the time that you have at BMI currently, um, specifically as it pertains to middle management, because at this point you're you're an executive. But for people that um, have been at their companies for, you know, three to five years and are looking to become real leaders, what kind of advice do you have for those people? It's a great question. You know, um, I, oh gosh, there's so, there's so many things I feel like. <laughs> um, I feel so fortunate because BMI is one of those places that actually helps you grow. Right. And, and I know that doesn't happen at many organizations. And, but what I've learned from BMI is because they allow us to, because they help, guide us and, and point us in the right direction by offering us, you know, um, educational courses along mm-hmm. the way and, and really our leadership also seriously, every step of the way gives us, uh, gives us helpful tips to help us get to that next level. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. What I would say to someone that doesn't have that, I think would be try to on your own, go and and ask your the people that you report to what can i do you know what can i do to mm. help get to that next level how can i how do i how can i get to where you are what do i mm. need to do see if they'll see if they'll help you if if not what i would suggest is taking some workshops that you think could could help move you forward because the problem what happens is is you go into the business. I know most people that love music go into it because you love music so much, right? Yeah. And really yeah. all you know is music. You didn't go in to manage people. You didn't go into, you know, um, run a department particularly, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you can start to learn those things as you go along, I think you become an asset. And I think, I think you become valuable because you're not just there to do one particular job, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You're there and you're willing to grow and become an executive and have an executive presence. So I, I, you know, I don't know if that helps, but I hope yeah, it no, helps. It absolutely, it absolutely does. Um, as somebody who is in that stage of their career right now, <laughs> that, 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 that does, that does help. Yeah. And you know what else I, I would recommend is just like going above and beyond. It's like that work ethic. I know I've mm-hmm. said it probably several times already, but to me, it's that curiosity, that's that wanting to learn, um, the doing the extra work, right? Yeah. Not just not just sort of going, okay, well, I did what I was told, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I did the basic things that I could do, right? Do more than than that, right? And you may get told no, you know, or you may say, hey, this is you may say, hey, we don't need you to do this, or you know, but at the end of the day. Maybe it's not just within the organization, it's outside of the organization as well. You know, yeah. doing other things, which which you are doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you you've got you've got this podcast that you're doing and and you're doing lots of other things too. And I think um nowadays because it is so hard to have to find a job, being entrepreneurial is so important. And right. I know like when I first started too, and I couldn't find a job and I always tell people like, start, start something on your own, you know, mm-hmm. start managing your own people, you know, mm-hmm. start a blog, um, 
whatever it might be, so that all of a sudden people are going, oh, well, they're they're proactive. They're going to figure out how to do this out, do this stuff on their own, whether yeah. or not they have a job at this company or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think one thing that um, comes up particularly in management is, um, you know, people ask, how did they become a, a better manager? Or how do they find clients to manage? I'm like, I'm sure some of your friends make music. <laughs> like it should be, it should be the people, your peers first, you know, and kind of yeah. go from there. A- absolutely. Um, so, 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time, Sam. Um, I had a really good time. I think this is going to shed light on a part of the industry that we actually haven't really uh, dived into too much. So I really appreciate you virtually coming out. Absolutely. And I, I love it that you put that link at the end to do the BMI 101 because I really think it will help um, educate the community at large. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Talk to you soon. You have a good rest of your day. Okay, dokie. Thank you. Wow. So that was a really, really awesome interview. Um, some of the highlights for me, you know, I talked about during the interview how I called the BMI rep a few years ago and just said, put me on game. You know, how do I sign up artists to uh, BMI? How do I add songs to their catalog? What do the splits mean? And I feel like we were able to have that conversation in front of you all. So if you all have questions about uh, performance rights organizations, if you have questions about how to register your songs with BMI, if you have questions about what BMI does, I think we answered that a lot during this episode. Um, Performance rights organizations are so important, you know, up there with all the other things that we've discussed on the podcast so far. Labels, publishing, um, you know, what have you. So I'm really glad that we were able to interview Sam. Um, Really glad that we were able to also dig into what the beginning of her career was like and how she made those first few steps to become um, an employee after she was an intern. And also, I'm glad that we talked about middle management too and how to become an executive um, you know, on your own once you've made it into the music industry. So a lot of gems here. Um, as always, follow the Music Business Podcast at Music Business Podcast on Instagram. Um, check out the musicbusinesspodcast.com website. And I'll talk to you guys next week.